Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. And hello, Sarah. Hello, Stacy. I have some good news. You want it? I super want good news right now. Are you sitting down? Because it's a shocker. I'm actually at my standing at my walk. I'm like standing at my treadmill desk. So I don't I don't know if I could actually right, sit lean. down. Just lean. Okay, I'm, I'm leaning. I got it. Wesley is no longer vegan. <laughs> How long did it end up lasting? <laughs> About three days. And I will cool. say I'm super proud. I in no way like encouraged or discouraged or um, anything like, like that. like wave bacon back and forth. I didn't. And ironically, it was like after dinner, we'd had pork chops for dinner and he had had whatever it was he was having that night and was fine. He never asked about like wanting our dinner. And then there was like a chocolate sea salt, a dark chocolate caramel sea salt candy that was like out on the kitchen counter. And he just opened the container and was like going to put one in his mouth. And I could have just let it happen. (laughs) Right. But I looked at him, I was like, you know, that has milk in it. And he goes, Oh, it's not vegan. And I said, No. And he goes, I'm tired of being vegan. (laughs) He just like (laughs) ate the candy. I did share the whole thing on Insta stories. I saved it in the highlight bubble about Wesley going vegan. But um, I heard from a lot of listeners that last week's show was both interesting and helpful. And shout out to our vegan listeners. I don't know if you know this, but we actually have vegan listeners who found the show super helpful and said that they really appreciated um, our take on it and um it was helpful for them and so and and that's the thing is you know whether it's ethical or cultural or religion a lot of people do eat whether it's just restricted meat or no meat or whatever it is right and so I'm I'm hopeful that that short-lived lesson with Wesley will benefit other people much longer than it benefited him um (laughs) what's interesting is the the next morning um he was about to pack his lunch and he was like putting salami in his lunch. And I was like, you know, you could choose to try pescatarian vegetarianism like, and then he has a friend um, who eats like that. And um, he looked at me and he goes, so that would allow me to eat dairy and eggs. And I said, and fish. And he goes, yeah, I can try that. And so he, um, we had some smoked salmon and different kinds of things. He loves fish. I I don't know if I've said that before on the podcast. Like that's his favorite um, protein anyway. And so that lasted one day, (laughs) just for the record. (laughs) The very next day, I don't remember where it was. Um, You know what? I think it was the day of the dead party down at the street. Our neighbors were having a, a day of the dead party and they had made like a Mexican menu And they actually had made vegetarian stuff for Wesley and his friend who were at the time eating pescatarian. And then they had 
like ground beef version of nachos and stuff like that. And Wesley was like, nope, I'm going all in. <laughs> he was like, that was it. He made up his mind and I didn't even have to do anything. And I think, I really think that um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he has lived his whole life eating easy to digest foods and to introduce things that were difficult for his gut to digest. Um, he had stomach aches, he had gas, he wasn't feeling good. And while, you know, I joke and it was a candy, like for him, he was kind of in this state of like, oh, my stomach hurts. It was after his dinner that his stomach was hurting. And so he, I think he was mentally like, I'm done. <laughs> like This isn't, this isn't for me. So, so one of the things that's really interesting to me about this experiment is there's, right, there's, like one of the things I love about your family, and this is in large part because of your history, is that you're embracing omnivorism from a nutrient standpoint and incorporating those um, respective animal welfare, you know, priorities by seeking humanely raised meat and having those conversations with your kids. And we do the same. And um, and so I'm interested in this experiment from right. There's there's the piece of it that is about, you know, res respecting the lives that are, are given for our nutrition. But then there's also the piece of like, is it really just the flavor that he was missing that he wanted to partake in? Or was it the fact that he wasn't feeling all that good, you know, with three days of, you know, food that is legitimately much harder to digest um, and, a, you know, very different gastric experience than what he's used to eating or if it was like kind of a mishmash of all of the above yeah when you said was it this or that I was going to answer yes, yes. <laughs> I think oh, yes. for sure all of those things I will say he got 100% support from us no one ever gave him a hard time it was his decision and um, I even encouraged him when he was about to eat pork that he could try pescatarian if that was important to him. So I feel like as a parent, it was completely his choice, which was important to me, right? Like I didn't want to have him feel like he was pressured uh, or couldn't be himself or any of those kinds of things like you're, you're saying, because then it becomes this more elusive and more desirable thing later on. And so it was like, I just wanted to give him as much support as he needed while also giving him education and, you know, good options if he were going to go that way. And so um, I'm hopeful that last week's show in talking about, you know, reading labels and thinking about the types of food that are more ideal than others, if you are going to go some semblance of that route, um, that it can guide that process for other people. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you for your feedback, listeners. And um, I'm glad to hear already from at least one of our vegan listeners <laughs> that it was a great show. Um, but I've also heard from a lot of non-vegans that it was helpful for them as well, um, especially as the holidays are coming around. If you have people coming to eat or stay with you who eat differently, um, there it is a possibility to keep your kitchen gluten-free, for example, which is important for us, but still support their eating requirements. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. But we're going to go a completely different direction <laughs> with today's yeah. episode, right? Um, we, I, yes. 
Um, although maybe not, maybe it's, maybe it's a tangent, um, because it's talking about a different diet, uh, one that you and I both have a lot of experience with the autoimmune protocol. And, um, the reason why I wanted to sort of revisit this as a dedicated topic on the podcast this week is first of all, I think it's really been a while. We talk about AIP often because it's been such a fundamental part of both of our healing journeys. Um, and of course, you know, as uh, the the person who has uh, popularized the diet and really, you know, built out the scientific foundation for it and built out the the details, um, it was something that I didn't invent. And I always like to be very clear that it was actually something that came out of conversations between Rob Wolf and Professor Lauren Cordain uh, to help Rob's mom, who has autoimmune disease. And they basically took a more... Um, a more immune focused lens, um, looking at foods and went, Oh, Hey, you know, there's these other foods that are probably problematic. Um, and that's what it was when I first started AIP was some additional eliminations. Uh, funnily enough, the original food list that Rob printed in the paleo solution and the list that was, um, part of paleo answer, which was, uh, professor Cordain's book that came out around the same time. were not the same food lists. There was a large amount of overlap, but they actually didn't, they didn't completely align. Um, but I came in and given my background as a medical researcher, I was really interested in understanding like, what was it about autoimmune disease that made these foods go from healthy to not healthy? And that can of worms that opened, um, was really the beginning of me understanding nutrient density and the comprehensive, uh, approach incorporating lifestyle factors. And it was my work over the next couple of years that really made the autoimmune protocol what it is today. And, um, and what's happened now, which I like, it's, it's really exciting to see is that the AIP is like starting to take on a life of its own, right? So there's people who are learning about the AIP who have never heard of me and who um, are hearing about it from all different kinds of places, which is like, my feelings aren't hurt. I think that's fantastic. Um, I care more that people find this toolbox that is like full of amazing tools that can help them um, get control of their health, regain their health, um, not necessarily to the exclusion of medical intervention, right? Like it is a complementary approach. Um, but one of the things that's happening is like we saw happen with paleo a few years ago is you're starting to get dilution of the messaging around the edges and you're starting to get people use AIP as a buzzword to promote their own diets that are not actually AIP or their own supplement lines, which, you know, the AIP is not anti-supplement, but supplements are a, you know, second line, not a first line strategy. Um, or, um, you know, starting to see um, people talk about AIP in, um, in ways that are uh, misrepresenting what AIP is. So we, and we've seen this, there have always been examples and, you know, we see this in the paleo community too, or keto even does this where you'll, you'll see a testimonial of, um, you know, I, I, I did paleo and it was awful and I felt terrible and, uh, I'm never, you know, like this is a horrible diet and no one should ever do it. And then keep reading down the article. And all I ate was like meat. <laughs> was boiled chicken and broccoli and coconut oil, right? And so missing like some huge fundamental parts of it. And so 
what I wanted to do was sort of revisit what the Ottoman protocol is um, and and kind of summarize its main principles in this episode and address some of the common misconceptions that are either um, just things that are easy to miss if you're not like steeped in the Ottoman protocol like I am, um, or if you're right, if you're learning about it based on articles on the internet, the thing about the Ottoman protocol is that it is a very comprehensive protocol. Every facet is backed up with a huge body of scientific literature. And one of the things that I really firmly believe is that it's important to understand the whys behind which foods to eat and which foods to eliminate and the lifestyle priorities in order to be able to personalize the AIP to really go through that health journey and understand your own body, um, but also to be able to use it effectively because we see sort of similar problems um, really like across the board, right? We see this in paleo. I did paleo, but I only ate chicken and broccoli and coconut oil. You could call that AIP too. Um, and and so I want to sort of take this opportunity to kind of like center what the AIP actually is for our listeners, especially um, our newer listeners who are like not really familiar with what the Ottoman protocol is and they've maybe heard us talk about it, um, you know, here and there, but also to help our um, listeners. I know that we have listeners who are very, very engaged with um, understanding the whys behind things. I mean, that's kind of the deal with our podcast. And, um, and I know that I'm a person who can't help but in a conversation to be like, well, actually, that's like my signature term, I think, in a conversation. Um, and then I blah, 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 science words, blah, 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 science words. Um, so I know a lot of our listeners like our podcast because it gives them this knowledge base to draw on when they've got a friend or family member who's struggling with health. So uh, just like last week, we talked about some of the considerations for supporting somebody who wanted to go vegan. This week's episode is going to be very much a summary of what the Ottoman protocol is. And we've, we've talked on the show a lot um, about it before. And of course, I think roughly half of the articles on my website. So, you know, like 800 articles or so on my website are all Ottoman protocol focused. And I have an online course and I have an ebook and I have print books. Like it, it is something that I feel very passionately about. Um, so this is like, we'll call it like a AIP primer and kind of talk about what what the Ottoman protocol is and also sort of bust some sort of common misconceptions about the AIP and talk a little bit about what the AIP isn't. Yeah, I think that's, you know, before you jump into the science, if I could just add like two seconds of value, (laughs) (laughs) like the little, little mini amount I can offer. Um, I think the thing that has been interesting to me as I've watched the community mature is how the autoimmune protocol has expanded outside of paleo, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But like you said, then there's all these misconceptions because people don't understand where the orientation came from. And I think, you know, in combination with um, all of the things you've talked about, the guests that we've had on the show, the clinical studies that have been done, like there is endless amounts of of science and research that show a nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory approach can help heal. Um, 
does that mean that things go into remission forever and that you'll never have a flare or that you won't experience, you know, um, five years down the line, like a blip in your health and you'll need to revisit? No, but for a lot of people, this is used as an elimination diet to get you back on a path to feeling better, ideally your best version of yourself. And it is not intended to be like a forever restricted um suffering sort of um, approach. And I think for me, watching the community become more and more dogmatic, like no matter which approach it is, it becomes Mm -hmm. like this opportunity for disordered eating. And you and I are very much opposed to that thought process when it comes to um, thinking of food, we much prefer the approach of Is it nourishing your body? Is it helping you feel your best? Is it a healthy choice? And if it's not, and that's the choice that you make, no amount of shame or guilt or whatever it is you're feeling after the fact is going to change what happened. Like, okay, move on. You made a choice, whatever it was. Now what? You know, like, you know, you can choose to drink broth and go to bed early and do all those things or whatever. And I think it's the same with elimination. You know, I hear from a lot of people as they start to add back these foods, how nervous they are, how scared they are, Mm -hmm. how much more stress that puts on their body, which then will cause more of that potential inflammation from whatever condition they may have to regurgitate even before they've added a food, right? Like just because they're so stressed about it. So I just kind of wanted to address the fact that this is not intended to be a life sentence. For some people, um, there might be foods that you're never able to add back. Sarah and I each have our own that we lament that we can, cannot have. <laughs> yeah. And and occasionally we try to add them back in and we're like, nope, that's still not that's working still for not. us, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> but then there are people who, um, and we have talked about um, my friend, Laura, who we hope to have on the show at some point, um, her daughter who had alopecia used AIP for 30 days. And that's what her daughter needed. And it was very difficult. I'm not going to beat around the bush, right? It is very difficult, especially with a child to do even for 30 days. But once she started seeing regrowth of the hair and her daughter was doing well, she went to a more what I would call like a phase one of real life everything versus AIP, which is on the other side of that spectrum, where she's just eliminating, you know, gluten and low quality and most dairy and um, still adding in more vegetables than she was eating before, right? Like that whole approach. And her daughter continues to have full head of hair regrowth. Like it is incredible. I've, I've sent Sarah pictures because I wanted her to see the difference that she made in that child's life because it's visual. You can visually see Uh, the the difference made me cry. Yes. And so that is what we want for you. And you might not have that particular health condition, but we want this to be a mechanism for you to, to go to the next level in your health and not to be stressed and restricted and depressed. And those things don't help your health either. Period. That's 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 what I've got. Now take it away with the science. <laughs> well, actually, and I'm going to start by expanding on the amazing point that you just made, which is that the AIP is actually really three phases. And I, I just wrote about this um, for the website because it I really felt like it needed to be emphasized. We can put a link to that article in the show notes. But it it is you know 
I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, right? So we tend to define AIP, and I always define it first based on the foods that we eat, right? The nutrient density, snout to tail, lots of seafood, tons and tons of vegetables, right? Three quarters veggies, um, balanced macronutrients. Like I try to focus in on the uh, nourishing foods that we eat. And then, oh, and by the way, um, yeah, there's there's more potential trigger foods for somebody who has an overactive immune system. So that does also include stricter eliminations. And then, yeah, wrap up all the lifestyle stuff. But I, I, it's really easy to do, and you'll see this across the AIP, you know, blogger community, is that when we dis- describe what the AIP is, we describe that, right? Here's the foods that you eat, the foods that you eliminate, and the lifestyle priorities, and then troubleshooting, right? Troubleshooting and reintroductions is sort of like the separate thing, and really that phase of the AIP is just the first phase. And we, you'll see people refer to it as the elimination phase. I think that's a, in some ways, I, that's an unfortunate term because I really want to focus more on nutrient density. I really think that is the foundational facet of the AIP that has, um, the most long-term effect, right? Like the eliminations are still really important. I'm not saying that if you just eat all the nutrients, that means that gluten's not going to cause a problem. But I think that um, that positive focus on what to eat is also a really important aspect of the mindset. So calling it the elimination phase, uh, that's sort of terminology that kind of organically came out of the community because um, it is a phase that is sort of hallmarked by both this like relearning about foods to eat that are super nutrient dense while eliminating, you know, for most people, the most foods that they will ever eliminate in their lives and then dialing in the lifestyle. But that is phase one. And like your friend's daughter needed to do that for 30 days. I have always resisted putting a time frame on how long the elimination phase should be before reintroductions because different people have different barriers to overcome to healing. Um, and uh, different people's bodies re- like respond differently, right? You might have a more aggressive disease or a, a disease that's affecting a low priority tissue for the body for healing, for example, like the skin autoimmune diseases. Skin's a really low priority tissue. You have to sort of restore um, nutrient status in the body sort of globally before the body decides to take any of those nutrients and throw them at the skin. Um, so I've always sort of said, you know, like the, the, in terms of an elimination and challenge style diet, and I mentioned this all the way back in the paleo approach, which is nearly six years old now, um, you know, it, it needs to be, the food needs to be eliminated for at least two weeks for an elimination and challenge to be effective at unveiling a food intolerance that was always there. Like the way an elimination and challenge works is by uh, removing the trigger to the immune system. So the immune system basically stops trying to control the reaction. And then when you add that trigger back, the reaction is magnified. And it is not because, you know, removing that food caused you to be gluten intolerant. It basically, that is a that is the gold standard for allergists to identify a food reaction, whether it's a true allergy or an intolerance or a sensitivity. And it's because when your body's in overdrive all the time, it does 
also have these other things going on that tries to like not die, right? So if uh, if you're continuously eating a food that you're allergic to, your body's also trying to like process that histamine and not, right? And and um, you might do things like your stomach might thicken the mucus layer, so less of that food's being absorbed. Like there's all these different adaptive mechanisms that our bodies have in order to restrain that reaction. Um, so by eliminating the trigger. You also, your body's like, phew, I don't have to, huh, don't have to have that thickened mucus layer in the gut. I don't have to have that, you know, extra processing ability for histamine. And then when you add it back, you um, basically, <laughs> you basically um, magnify the reaction so that it's obvious, right? That is, it, it's basically unveiling the thing that was there all along. So that's the reintroduction phase. And I, I like to sort of say, you know, minimum two weeks is what an allergist would have you do if it was an elimination diet purely designed to identify uh, what foods your, your body is specifically reacting to. Um, and an allergist typically would more, more likely go four weeks rather than two, right? Give your, give your body time to calm down. And what I teach in the AIP lecture series is that if you're, you know, Really, if you're not seeing any changes by three months um, in terms of that elimination phase of the AIP, like don't keep banging your head against the wall. I mean, that means either something's missing, right? So um, I also recently posted an article called AIP Do's and Don'ts, which is taken right out of the first lecture from week six of the AIP lecture series, just because I think the reflection that goes along with that list can be really, really helpful for people in their, their healing journeys. And, um, and so sometimes it's like a missing piece, right? Like, uh, yeah, I was doing the AIP, but I forgot to manage my stress. I was doing the AIP, but I actually didn't go to bed early enough to get enough sleep. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. No, no one's ever experienced this before. Or I was doing the AIP, but not eating variety or not eating organ meat or not, uh, not eating vegetables. Like we see it's common, right? We're bringing, either uh, dietary approaches we've tried in the past and we're bringing the knowledge from those other dietary approaches to the AIP and kind of doing this like mixed protocol thing or um, our own, right, our own baggage, right? And we all do this. We all have, uh, you know, you and I, Stacey, both, uh, I think it's fair to say stress is a thing that uh, we constantly struggle with keeping in check. Um, oh, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Stress is my, my, yep. my challenge. Yep. Um, and it, and it will unravel if I, if I, um, lose hold of that situation, it will start to unravel in other areas, right? It'll affect my sleep quality. And then I won't be motivated to go to the gym and then I'll crave all the sugar. So then I'll make bad food choices. Right. So I, it's, for me, it's the, everything centers around, being proactive in terms of managing my stress. That is part of why we call the AIP a journey because, uh, through reintroductions, which are super important, they're super important for a couple of reasons. One is, um, the elimination phase of the AIP is a challenge outside of the home and reintroductions allow expansion of the diet, which makes practical challenges like traveling and eating a restaurant actually navigatable. But the other part of it is there are some nutrients that are um, you have to be really um, aware of what foods are good sources of those nutrients. I would say sort of like biotin, which is vitamin B7, uh, and vitamin E and calcium are sort of like the most um, probably 
that the nutrients that you have to be the most aware of what foods have them to be able to get enough on the AIP. And so being able to expand the richest source of biotin is egg yolks. And um, vitamin E is very richly found in nuts and seeds. And so is calcium, right? So being able to expand the diet also makes it a little bit easier to reach that primary goal of the AIP of nutrient sufficiency, meaning that we're getting all of the essential and non-essential nutrients we need in adequate and synergistic quantities from food. So reintroduction can actually make the diet higher quality when those foods are tolerated. There are some foods that are very nutrient dense that are eliminated on the autoimmune protocol for good reason, um, but they're not you know, the foods that are eliminated on the AIP are not going to be a problem for everybody. That's the thing about autoimmune disease is it's a spectrum. There's 140-ish autoimmune diseases. And um, there's not, uh, you know, other than celiac and gluten, there's not really well-defined triggers for food triggers for every autoimmune disease. And for most autoimmune diseases, it's a confluence of events. It's the genetic factors, it's the lifestyle factors, it's nutrient deficiencies, and food triggers, and gut microbiome, and hormone imbalances, right? It's this, it's all of these different things going on, which is why the AIP is sort of necessarily this very comprehensive and holistic approach, trying to tackle all of those different things. And so, um, so the AIP really is sort of these three phases, because what reintroduction allows you to do when you go through it methodically and you identify look, this food, totally awesome. I can totally eat this food as much as I want. This food, well, I can probably save this for a once a month kind of treat. This, this will be a great one to have in a restaurant or when I'm traveling or on my birthday. This food, no bueno, can't go there. It's going to cause me super bad, awful things. And when you have that information, when you've gone through that reintroduction phase, one of the things that happens in that, it's a, it's a really important learning phase. Like you're learning about your body. And you're respecting bioindividuality, and you are now personalizing the AIP to your body's requirements and tolerance. So you're really understanding what your body needs and what it, you know, what lines you cannot cross, where your wiggle room is. And you get to what's called the maintenance phase, the third phase of the autoimmune protocol, which is where you and I are, Stacey, which is like, look, my diet is AIP plus right? Uh, paleo plus. I mean, there's some non-paleo foods that I've now incorporated back into my diet. I tolerate them really well. I've, I would argue I feel better when I have some lentils. Um, and so it's it really is trying to drop the dogma of good food and bad food and really hone in on an individualized approach that is really only possible going through this very sort of methodical personal journey. And through that, most people also will find, um, you know, they'll do some troubleshooting. They might find, for example, that they're vitamin D deficient and they need uh, a vitamin D supplement. They might find a functional medicine doctor and identify, uh, you know, SIBO or some other kind of underlying challenge that can be addressed. Um, or for example, they might discover they have, uh, you know, mental health challenges that make managing stress, um, a, a harder thing, right? So like PTSD, all of those things sort of come in the refinement and troubleshooting part, which is sort of part of reintroductions and part of, part of maintenance. And part of like, when you get to that three month mark, 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean your body's ready for reintroductions at three months, but if you're not seeing any changes, like find a functional medicine or integrative medicine specialist and start digging deeper because it's, there's other things that can be going on. You cannot fix everything with diet and lifestyle. It can make a tremendous difference. And just because you need some other kind of uh, treatment or supplement or medication doesn't mean you're off the hook for the diet and lifestyle changes. Um, but this is why like, I really look at the autoimmune protocol as what would be considered like complementary medicine. So something that complements medicine. It's not about firing your doctor and never going to see them again. Um, it's about informed and judicious use of medical intervention and optimizing diet and lifestyle to meet those key tenants, nutrient, you know, nutrient sufficiency, uh, toxin avoidance, and in there, recognizing environmental triggers. So some people will have triggers that aren't food toxins, but it might be um, chloramine sensitivity in tap water is a trigger and they need to filter their tap water, for example. Um, or you might discover that there's environmental toxins where you live that are important to address, right? So there's this whole learning environment that comes with the autoimmune protocol, which is why I like to think of it as a toolkit because it, it really does give you this knowledge base from which to, A, understand the fundamentals of what the body needs to be healthy, like nutrient sufficiency, like activity and enough sleep and managing stress and nature time and social connection, social networks, right? Understanding all of that. But it also empowers you to be able to work with your healthcare providers to dig deeper, to refine, um, to, it's, I feel like it's like, it's like giving somebody the reins and now you get to steer your health journey. And that's what the AIP is about. It's about getting the reins and being in control again. And I think that's really important because one of the things that is so challenging about autoimmune disease is that feeling like, a, your body's betraying you, and B, you're just um, floating with this rapid current, and you just have no control or you know no ability to steer. And so, suddenly being able to steer again is the most amazing, empowering thing. So I think you know in that explanation of these three phases and the health journey part of the AIP, like I want to you know like just here's, here's some of the main bullet points, right? Um, the AIP is, uh, based on a huge body of scientific evidence that supports each facet, right? Supports the fact that high vegetable consumption is super important, that organ meat and seafood, uh, especially shellfish are the most nutrient dense foods available, that balanced macros is really important for hormone regulation and immune regulation, that the foods that we're eating are really important for gut health, but so are the lifestyle factors, right? Lifestyle factors actually also impact gut health, both gut barrier health and gut microbiome. That regulating the immune system is not just about impacting immune cellular function. It's about all of the inputs to immune health. So gut health is huge and that's gut barrier, gut microbiome, digestion, efficacy, the gut hormones, the detoxification aspects of the digestive system. Hormone health feeds directly into the immune system and that's where stress feeds in, but it's also thyroid health and sex hormone health, right? All uh, insulin sensitivity, all of those things are feeding into the immune system. And that the AIP embraces 
functional medicine and embraces, you know, supplemental therapies that have a scientific foundation. Like it, it is really about the science behind healing. So for example, uh, the AIP does not support treatments that uh, are not backed by science. For example, coffee enemas, which are sometimes used in um, alternative cancer therapies. They have not, you know, the science actually shows they are not beneficial and there have actually been trials that have been uh, stopped early due to ethical concerns because the uh, it was the, a study in the using the Gonzalez protocol, which was vegan juice fasts and coffee enemas in pancreatic cancer, and the death rate was three or four times higher in that group compared to the traditional chemotherapy treatment. Um, and so the the trial was stopped early because of that. And so um, so we we try to think critically of supplemental therapies. Um, while embracing things with a strong scientific foundation, which is why, you know, we do episodes of the show with Juve as a sponsor. We both love Juve and Juve, well, the, the evidence in autoimmune disease is sort of limited to rheumatoid arthritis and Hashimoto's thyroiditis right now. Um, we do know that it has, you know, a really strong anti-inflammatory effect that can be beneficial, but again, not a cure-all, right? It's all about, it's about taking the best of all of the worlds and putting them all together. So the best of what diet can do for us, the best of what lifestyle can do for us, the best of what supplements can do and medical interventions and supplemental therapies that are all rooted in science and combining all of those tools in a personalized way to best affect our individual health. I'm still back at cancer patients, negative health effects and I'm just medicine, science. I'm good with it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that one of the things that you said really hit home for me, which was the sense of empowerment that comes from being on the other side of the autoimmune protocol. And I've talked before about how when I first went on the autoimmune protocol, it was years ago when there were no power balls and, um, you know, I can't even like begin to think of all of the plethora of products that we've mentioned on the show before. Um, there was no dedicated website where you could buy AIP friendly products. Mm -hmm. And I remember running errands. There was a particular day where we were running errands and I had been paleo for so long and I'd gotten used to being able to go into 7-Eleven and get a hard boiled egg or grab a bag of nuts um, or a bag of jerky that didn't have soy sauce in it that I wasn't prepared. And so in the car, we were starving and that I was starving. The kids had all been able to eat at, you know, whatever place we went or stopped or whatever. And Matt was like, well, can I take you by 7-Eleven? Like, what can I do for you? And I just broke down and cried, like not just cried. I mean, I sobbed hysterical cries about how there was nothing I could eat. And I just remember feeling this sense of despair and this loss of control and this frustration of betrayal of my body, that this was the experience that I had to go through. And all of those feelings are real. And we've talked about how unimaginable that is for a child as well to not understand all of that. And for you as a parent to struggle with, with helping them. But I think what I want to focus on and what you said that I found such 
powerful words is the empowerment that you feel on the other side of that. Like when you go through that struggle, whatever that struggle looks like, and hopefully it's easier for whoever does it today, because there are so many wonderful things that people can now use and have at their ready so that they don't find themselves in a situation like I was. Um, But now to be in so to be in such control to know that, you know, when I went to Florida, this weekend, I knew that my body does not do well if I drink alcohol on days that I fly. I mean, really, ideally, not at all, but especially on the days that I fly. Um, And I know that that is going to be a trigger for me, right? Like I can joke about it Mm -hmm. because I'm like, uh, I mean, I know alcohol is not really ideal at all, but my body can handle it better if it's not on a day that I've flown. Um, I know that I need to sleep. And so I, you know, I bring my melatonin and um, we make sure to cover up all of the random light sources, no matter where you are. Why is there never blackout? I don't understand. Right. Like, and so we go through all of these things and it's not just about the food that I'm eating. I bring my, I personally take Liverpool supplements. We're not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you, you know, what medicines or supplements you should be on. But for me, um, I really need Liverpool supplements. And there's a couple of others that I've started taking more regularly because I feel so good. I bring my probiotics. None of these are chicken, broccoli, and coconut oil. These are part of the larger lifestyle that comes with autoimmune and it feels overwhelming when you come to autoimmune and it's not just food it's all of these things to add to your life and it's all of these lifestyle things to be aware of and it feels crushing the amount of things that you need to know I mean even today if I sat down to write a list I'd forget you know what I mean I'd forget all the things that I'm doing or all the things that I know or you know what I need to avoid because there's so many and it's like But how awesome is it that now I know those things and I can choose to avoid them to feel my best. And that allowed me, let me just tell you, I'm just going to take a minute here. I have a chronic back condition that flares from long amounts of sitting like on an airplane and in a car going from house to house to house. And then to walk around and look at, I'm not kidding, 40 homes in the span of three days, in and out, up and down, all around, writing notes in the car, out of car. And I told Sarah this morning, I'm tired because the time changed and like, I just need to rest. But I am totally in control. My body is not flaring. My back is fine. Um, And that's because I've learned also my back is triggered by inflammation, right? And inflammation is stress and inflammation is all these other things. And so I just want to provide a, you know, I think you hear us talk about our health conditions or the things that we, you know, struggle with, but I just want to point out, like, I just went through this huge strenuous thing of, you know, travel and it's super stressful to move or to think about moving and look at home. And it is these things that allow us to then be in control of our own bodies and know what's going to be a trigger and to enjoy life to the fullest, even though I can't have tomatoes. And it was super frustrating when I would go out to eat and have to ask 47 questions on whether or not there's cayenne pepper and paprika. And you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, do you understand what a pepper is? It's this and this and this and this and this and this, this, but it's worth it because then I feel better the next day. So, um, I really liked the word that you used empowerment on that other side of AIP, because I think I, I wish that everyone could know and understand how freeing that is. And on the front end, you, I know because I've been there feel so 
the opposite of free or the opposite of empowered. Yeah. You, you feel betrayed and you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the worst. So I think that's a really excellent point to expand on, which is the, the mindset aspect of the automating protocol. Like you mentioned a little bit off the, the top of the show about, um, you know, seeing more disordered eating in the community. And that's not the AIP community, right? That is health conscious communities as a, as a whole. Um, if you are somebody with a history of an eating disorder, you are at higher risk of, instead of healing from that eating disorder, swapping it out for a new one. And orthorexia is a challenge that we see in, you know, we saw it before the AIP really took, you know, became a, a popular dietary strategy. We, we saw it in paleo, primal, Um, And I think that it's one of the reasons why um, some of these, um, I'm going to use the word fad um, because I, you know, we've talked on the show many times before about my concerns over things like the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet um, in terms of nutritional inadequacies and impact on the gut microbiome and hormones, right? All of the things that... I have spent now, uh, oh, my, I launched my website eight years ago yesterday. I just realized that. Um, so eight years. Happy birthday, paleo mom. (laughs) Right. Um, so, you know, eight years of digging into the scientific literature, trying to really understand, uh, all of these different moving pieces. And, um, I find it frustrating when, uh, diets, um, really play to, people's fears or, um, use pseudoscience with a like rallying call in their marketing and, um, you know, really mislead people into something that the science would say is not going to be good for a hundred percent of people. Um, I mean, depending on what we're talking about, I I've always add the caveat when we're talking about ketogenic diet is that there is therapeutic potential for neurological and neurodegenerative diseases. And that is a whole separate conversation to have compared to how most people are using it. But with the autoimmune protocol, I think there is some other mindset pieces to talk about. For example, one of the things that I uh, often end up in the conversation, I'm sure you've had this too, where someone says, oh, I would do the AIP, but I just can't give up my coffee in the morning. And my response is, great, do that, right? Like, wait, you just traded, you traded all of the other aspects of AIP for a cup of coffee in the morning. Like, try it, try it for a month. And if you're you're still not feeling great, then revisit whether or not at that point you want to give up your cup of coffee. Um, but sure, that's your currency. That's your buy-in. Like, go ahead, sure. That, like, then, then that's an awesome place to be. And one of the reasons why I've put so much effort in the last couple of years into creating these really detailed, rigorous resources for the average person, right? Not, I mean, not just training AIP coaches, but with the AIP lecture series, like going into all of that science for somebody who doesn't have a science background is because when I can explain to you that with coffee, there's basically uh, responders and non-responders. So there's some people where coffee is inflammatory and some people where coffee is anti-inflammatory. And it's really fascinating within autoimmune disease that we basically have two groups of people. Some people do better on coffee and some people do worse. Well, 
you can then take that information and take your personal, you know, feelings towards coffee and use that information to make an, a, cho- a choice for yourself, which is, well, look, I um, love my coffee. It's my favorite part of the day. I consider it comfort in a cup. I don't want to give it up. I'm going to basically make a bet that I'm one of the people who benefits with coffee. I'm going to do everything else about the AIP and then I'll evaluate whether or not that bet that I made was right in a, in a month or two. Maybe I will get to the point where I just never eliminate coffee because I was doing so well and I left coffee in the whole time. And I think that one of the reasons why I really encourage people to get into get into the whys behind what to eat and what not to eat, because that knowledge allows you to make trades like that to keep a healthier mindset around the autoimmune protocol. Because if you're telling me that everything about the AIP is totally acceptable to you, except for this one thing, I mean, it's, it's a different conversation if that one thing is like diet Coke, but it's, if it's coffee, you know, there's a really, there's an argument to be made for sure. Keep it in, like, see what happens. Maybe the rest of the AIP will be fine. And it, I really dislike that dogmatic approach of like, well, then I can't call it AIP, which is why I think this focus on AIP being three phases and this maintenance phase of the AIP, even though you're eating foods that you never did on the elimination phase, it still counts because it's part of that healing journey. And I think when we can see it as this like, big picture, long road thing that's really about understanding our own bodies to maintain lifelong health and also help us navigate health challenges in the future because they will invariably happen. I think that that is the most important part of it. And it's much, much easier to be able to make those trades and and stay in that very um, healthy relationship with food mindset when, uh, when we really have that like detailed background knowledge to draw on. So the AP lecture series is obviously my, my resource that I've created to be the most comprehensive multimedia interactive experience. But, you know, there's also, you could read the paleo approach, which, you know, my first book that's nearly six years old. Um, I have an ebook called the autoimmune protocol. I have, I think I mentioned already something like 800 articles on my website that are AIP. Um, and we'll put a link in the show notes to my, um, autoimmune protocol, like start here page that has all of the, the basics listed. Um, but I think that, um, whether it's self-education or you could also really get into the nitty gritty understandings of all of the moving pieces of the AIP by working one-on-one with a AIP certified coach or, uh, doing like a group coaching, um, Angie alt sad to AIP and six program, for example, um, helps people transition to the autoimmune protocol slowly over six weeks. Um, any of those, you know, things are going to, depending on who you are and how you learn best and what your time availability is and all of those different things, there's so many different ways to really learn about the AIP. And I think my main take home talking about the mindset challenges that can come with the autoimmune protocol is that they are, uh, at least the majority of them can be overcome with uh, more detailed knowledge. I love those recommendations. And I think the more educated that we can become, 
and if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously interested in that, the more you can take ownership over um, that process for yourself and hopefully get further away from the phobic, orthorexic, disordered eating, overly limited mindset. Like I just think, um, and I credit AIP to this because it really helped me understand that food was nourishing my body and it's not good or it's bad. And sorry, I actually heard you say earlier in the show, bad choice. And I wanted to stop you, but I didn't want to interrupt (laughs) your train of thought. But I think this is so pervasive in our culture, right? That Mm -hmm. like food can make you potentially feel bad, but the food in and of itself is not bad. And you are not bad for making a choice, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and so these are things that years ago I would not have understood. And, um, even though I was talking about health and wellness and so focused on it in my own life, I was definitely having a thought pattern that was not healthy towards my mindset. And my, my mind was definitely still in the thought process of weight loss as health versus, um, not having autoimmune and healthy hormones and all of the other things that we talk about as being health. And I think, understanding an autoimmune condition and learning to nourish your body and learning to live a lifestyle that helps your body feel its best is really the best way, at least it was for me, for my brain to really change its focus in the way that I thought of health. So thanks for that. NBD, just changed my life. No big deal. (laughs) It's just just that. I also think, um, you know, one of the things that we've, we've addressed on this show before is like, is the AIP for everybody? And I think it's important to emphasize here that you can use that same structure without doing all of the eliminations on the autoimmune protocol. Like if you, um, don't necessarily have, you know, you don't have an autoimmune disease, you have some other, you know, health challenges, um, or different health goals, you could still do that same um, same sort of health journey approach within a paleo template, um, right? So maybe you would go what was sort of considered standard paleo, and then test you know test your tolerance to dairy, right? So there's there's ways that you can sort of take that that structure of I'm going to work on the nutrient density piece. I'm going to eliminate the foods that um, are most likely to be undermining my health in some way. And I'm going to work on the lifestyle piece. And then I'm going to test my tolerance to these foods that I eliminated. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of people who have been part of the paleo community for a long time eat what might better be described as a nutrient focused gluten-free diet, right? Like, or a nutrient focused dairy free. Like it's, it becomes, you know, for me, I'm at a point where the, the nutrient quality of a food is my primary criteria from whether or not I'm going to eat that food while I recognize that I am incredibly gluten and dairy sensitive and I can't go there. And, um, that means that, there are foods in my diet from time to time that would not be considered paleo. I mentioned lentils earlier. Um, and I don't, 
Like to me, that doesn't mean that I'm not entitled to call how I'm eating AIP because those are the principles that I'm following or call how I'm eating paleo because uh, those are the principles, or at least as I lay them out in paleo principles, those are the principles that I'm following. So I, I think that you can, you can adapt the structure of the healing journey that we go through on the autoimmune protocol to, you know, be in a different starting place, to have a different health goal, um, and still use that sort of overall idea behind sort of re- a challenge and reintroductions, um, and really understanding your body within any, you know, shade of paleo or this sort of like health conscious community diet focus. So Stacey, I also want to sort of address some of the like common misconceptions there are about the AIP out there. And I know you've heard them just as much as I have. So why don't we do this like rapid fire style and you uh, tell me the things that you've heard people say about AIP and I will bust them and drop more mics. I... I'm going to have to stop laughing from the fact that you just said we're going to do rapid fire at the one hour mark. <laughs> we're going to do, we're going to do paleo view style rapid fire. <laughs> okay. All right, friends, we're going to try to make magic happen. So um, there is no science to support this way of life. That's incorrect. <laughs> is that the end of rapid fire? I don't even know how this works. I'm like, is well, uh, it, you have more, I mean, right? I do have more. Um, you know, I um, cited 1,200 scientific studies in writing the paleo approach. There's been probably six to 800 more that have, you know, come into various writings on my website. And we now have some clinical studies that, uh, at least in inflammatory bowel disease and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, with a study ongoing right now in psoriasis and eczema, that um, just prove that assertion. And I think that um, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a scientist and I would love to see more science, but there's no aspect of the autoimmune protocol that is not solidly rooted in scientific evidence and not just, not just, uh, cherry picking the papers that support that, but like looking at the body of scientific literature and what the entire field around that particular topic supports. So, um, I, I, as a scientist and a, you know, I was a medical researcher, um, that scientific foundation is actually how I approach every recommendation that I make, whether it's AIP or outside of that protocol. And, um, I, I mean, I have a rule for myself. I don't say something unless not just, not just, can I find science to back it up, but is that what the science says? Like that to me is fundamental. And, uh, that's why the AIP, has the solid scientific foundation that it has is because, uh, because of me, because I was the person who, um, I mean, I was using it for myself and just nerding out, but that, that was my contribution contribution to the AIP was, um, to pull together this tremendous body of scientific evidence that supports it. Uh, greed. I think I mentioned earlier, I like science. And we have talked, I will point people to the show, we'll put a link in the show notes to the one that we did on the new AIP science um, article where we dived really deep into that. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned this earlier, but 
If I do AIP, it's going to solve all my problems. It's a panacea. Um, no, it's not. Uh, it turns out that you can't cure everything with diet and lifestyle. Um, sometimes uh, you need medicine, uh, doctors, surgeries, supplements, therapies. Uh, yeah. No, uh, the AIP again as a toolbox, right? It's, 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 it's a collection of, I don't know, you can almost consider it a collection of best practices, uh, especially once you integrate the self-discovery aspect of it. Um, and it's just because you need those other therapies, again, it sort of doesn't get you off the hook of like making the healthy choices day in and day out. Um, but it's, it, it can be an amazingly powerful thing. There are, you know, tens of thousands of anecdotal stories out there of people who've put their autoimmune diseases into remission using diet and lifestyle. But there's also lots of stories of people who haven't gotten all the way there. I mean, I will take thyroid hormone replacement my entire life because of the damage that Hashimoto's thyroiditis caused my thyroid. Do I consider that my personal failure or a failure of the AIP? Like, absolutely not. I am using all of the tools at my disposal and, um, and the AIP is a collection of tools, but it's not the only things out there that are going to be necessary for every person to achieve health. Agreed. Um, I think you just kind of answered this, but it's just a diet. Do you want to kind of expand on that? Yeah, I think, um, the, the dietary aspect for people is, uh, where people come into the AIP is they'll come in with, uh, a list of foods to eat and a list of foods to avoid. And it can seem like a really big change because the AIP also, it taps into the local food movement, right? We're also doing things like uh, encouraging food variety and eating seasonally and buying high, higher quality foods, which often means like finding local farms and farmer's markets um, or places online that you can get those sort of higher quality foods. Not, again, that it's necessarily a sort of necessary part of the autoimmune protocol for everyone. It's not always available where you live or budget friendly. Um, but understanding which higher quality foods have which benefits and where the extra few bucks is really a good use of that money is part of the broader education on the AIP. Um, but I think that because it can seem like such a big change in our lives, it's really easy even for somebody who knows that the lifestyle components are like an equal focus on the autoimmune protocol. I would say it's equal focus, AIP and lifestyle. Um, it's easy to kind of ignore those because you just go like, oh, well, you know, I already go to the gym. So activity check or I sleep just check. And, and it's, <laughs> And it's actually, I think, for a lot of people, harder to work on getting sufficient uh, and sufficient quantity and quality of sleep and manage stress and not just exercise, but also like incorporate movement throughout the day and get out into nature and work on social connections and social networks. Like, I think that some of that stuff can be a, a bigger challenge. Um, but while we're so fixated on trying to figure out the diet piece, it it's very common for the lifestyle piece to get de-emphasized as an individual implementing the autoimmune protocol. And that because so many of us find ourselves in that place where we're just trying to figure out the food and we're going to worry about the lifestyle later, 
it's easy for somebody who's kind of on the periphery of this community to see the diet, right? Like we, we post pictures of our food, of our dinner plates and not necessarily pictures of I'm going to bed at nine 30. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's kind of how social media has sort of amplified this one piece of the autoimmune protocol. Um, but it is not just a diet. It is a comprehensive approach that includes, uh, diet and lifestyle. I think to go hand in hand with that, um, and again, this is part of the panacea, but if I'm doing all of those things, then I don't need medical intervention. Um, that uh, might be true for some people, um, but probably not for most people. I mean, the thing is, is there's still... So there are going to be people who are going to have additional underlying challenges to healing that diet and lifestyle can't address. And for those people, I'd refer them back to the podcast episode we did on the difference between functional and integrative medicine, um, because I think that um, both of those approaches are really valuable in digging deeper in autoimmune disease. And I think that... Um, you know, I think it's, it is earned, right? The, the conventional medical system, uh, has historically not been awesome for people with autoimmune disease. There are statistics that come out of AARDA that are like 50% of women later, uh, diagnosed with a serious autoimmune disease labeled as hypochondriacs in the early part of their disease. And in part, it's because there's no um, one diagnostic that can tell you if you have an autoimmune disease. Some autoimmune diseases have easy tests that can tell you if you have it. And some, you don't get a diagnosis until the disease has progressed in, to fit a predictable pattern of symptoms. And uh, there's no cure, right? There's no, there's no medical intervention. Like if you have type 1 diabetes, you can take insulin, Um but there's still all kinds of other problems because you don't take C-peptide, um, which is a whole other tangent because uh, the pro-insulin molecule is cleaved and C-peptide is a very important anti-inflammatory that mediates the effects of insulin uh, and glucose metabolism. But um, more the point that I want to make is that um, is that functional medicine is, is that entire approach and integrative medicine as well those approaches are very compatible with the AIP, right? And what the AIP is trying to achieve. And I personally have found, um, I would say AIP got me 85 or 90% of the way. And I would never have gotten that extra 10 or 15% without a functional medicine doctor. Like it was, um, it was amazing. And there've been periods of time in my life where, functional medicine has been the thing that held me together. Um, and it's, it's a, a really wonderful thing, but also a regular doctor, uh, say an endocrinologist or, you know, gastroenterologist, depending on what type of autoimmune disease you have is still going to be really important. And I think it's very, very important, not just to continue to see your doctor, but to tell them what you're doing. And, um, I think it's really important, especially if you're going to start playing with supplements or trying to go off a medication that needs to be supervised by a doctor. Um, you know, there's, there's, I understand the desire to get rid of all of the bottles in the medicine cabinet because of, of how great you feel on the AIP. 
Um, but that's not going to be appropriate for everybody. And it's really important if you're going to make changes to, um, those, you know, supplements and medications that a doctor knows about it and gives you the green light. Some medications need to be weaned off of, um, some, you know, there's just as bad side effects with discontinuing as there is with, um, trying them for the first time. And it's really important for a qualified healthcare provider to be in the know if you're going to make changes to that. So, um, I think that, I think it's really important to have, uh, healthcare providers that we have a relationship with and that we know and that we trust. Um, and, uh, the expertise that is indicated for our individual health challenges at our disposal, because, uh, those people know a lot of stuff. They don't necessarily know all of the nutrition stuff that, you know, is integrated into the AIP and that's okay. It's okay if they don't understand why the AIP could possibly help. Um, they've got other expertise that they can offer in the health journey that's very, very worthwhile taking advantage of. And it causes food sensitivities. <sighs> yeah, I think I touched on this a little bit earlier of um, this. I mean, we see this in the paleo community as well, right? This idea of like, well, I ate bread every day of my life and it never bothered me before. And then I gave it up for two months and now I can't, you know, now when I have gluten, I'm violently ill. Uh, so paleo made me gluten intolerant or AIP may be gluten intolerant. And it really, that really isn't the, the case. It, it unveils a reaction that was there all along. And I understand how frustrating it can be. Um, and I understand it, it's not just frustrating, right? It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient if you discover a food sensitivity that after cleansing your body of that food trigger means that, say, cross-contamination has you violently ill. I am sensitive enough to gluten that cross-contamination will make me ill for three or four days. A violently GI symptoms, not a fun time. Like food poisoning level, not fun. And... um and it's, uh, yeah, it's a inconvenience. That's a huge understatement. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of empowerment that comes from that knowledge. And for me, it means that I can look back at my health history just with a different lens and really be able to see the struggles that I had growing up through the, well, of course, I mean, that was when I was, you know, eating that gluteny thing all the time. And, um, that obviously, you know, was a higher period of time where I was eating more gluten in my life. That explains why I had that, all those symptoms that now I can look back and see as a Hashimoto's flare. Um, so I think that, um, it can feel that way because of the unmasking of, of, um, a reaction that's always been there before, but physiologically, that's not how it works. I think this is such a good one. And I know we have covered this in a prior show. So hopefully Monica can find the show notes. But I think it was part of a show where we also talked about like peanuts and different kinds of things like that. Um, but this is an entirely different thing when it comes to how your body recognizes inflammation and all that jazz. So um, what else do you, <laughs> like, do you want to throw what out? What else do you want to cover? <laughs> I mean, I think the, the, the other... Um, the other thing I think probably the last the last thing that's worth sort of mentioning is that people will often look at the autoimmune protocol as being a very limited diet. And um, I mean, there certainly have been um, examples of 
of people who have, you know, talked about the AIP and then you realize they're eating 14 foods. And, um, I just wrote about sort of food phobia and the AIP and that that could come from a variety of different things, right? Can I just interject? Because the Mm -hmm. way I've seen that when that happens, it's, they're also doing like a sugar cleanse. Yes. Thank you. Like a Mm -hmm. reduction of quote unquote sugars, which eliminates all fruits and carbs. And I just want to point out, we have like a bajillion shows on why AIP is not that and why your gut health and your hormones, especially for someone, for example, with thyroid, um, would not benefit from something like that. So go, go for it. I just wanted to like be a little more clear because I don't know how to do rapid fire. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I mean, let's, we'll, we'll wrap this up as our last, but I think that, um, we see this in a few different ways. So we see it in people talking about how, oh, the AIP was terrible. I did, you know, having the grown up temper tantrum of, I don't know what to eat. Um, or, um, the AIP is amazing. Look at these six foods that I'm eating. Um, and so it's, sometimes it's comes from orthorexia. Sometimes it comes from combining protocols. So not just candida, um, or sugar detox, but we'll often see it with combined with SCD or gaps, um, or low FODMAP, which can sometimes be helpful for people, but is not like a starting place. Um, and, uh, and also if you're going to start combining protocols, you need to be super aware of how to get sufficient nutrients and probably be working with an AIP certified coach and, or functional and integrative medicine practitioner. But one of the things that I think that does is, you know, if you're, if you're giving up a lot of the foods that you ate regularly as part of the eliminations, it can feel like there's nothing left to eat. And it's why when I like teach about the autoimmune protocol in the AIP lecture series, the, um, you know, after all of the introductory material in the first week, the second week is what to eat and why. And it's very, very much focused on the huge variety of foods that are still part of the autoimmune protocol, including all some really wonderful, like comfort foods, lifestyle foods. Like it's it there, you really get to eat flavorful things on the autoimmune protocol, at least once you can taste things again, after you get rid of junk food. And, um, and I think it's really important like that, that food variety is really a really important part of the autoimmune protocol. Um, but I think the mindset aspect that comes with, uh, seeking the abundance as opposed to focusing on the eliminations. And it's one of the things I find very frustrating when I see influencers talking about the AIP as this really restrictive limited diet is I feel that it doesn't appropriately communicate what the AIP is because it should not be a really restricted diet. Yes, there are eliminations on it, but that's different than saying that, the number of foods you get to eat is very limited. It is actually, I think the food lists that I have, for example, in the Paleo Approach and the Paleo Approach cookbook literally include a few thousand different foods. Um, And so I think um, for some people it's challenging because it requires trying a lot of new foods, maybe finding different places to shop, maybe learning how to cook. That's a different challenge than the diet being too restrictive, right? That's an individual challenge that can be overcome with a adventurous problem solving mindset. And so, um, as a, as a last wrap up on the, what the AIP isn't, it's not a very restrictive diet. Yes. It has eliminations and yes, those eliminations may be more than you've ever tried before, but it actually incorporates a huge variety of foods and embraces variety. Like variety is an important tenet of the AIP as well. I could not agree more. And, Like I said earlier, there are so many amazing 
options that are AIP compliant for you if you don't want to, for example, make your own marinara. Like we have a recipe on our blog that's really popular that uses the Instapot and I would say makes like a triple batch. And so we make it probably once a month and we freeze two thirds of it and then we use it as I need throughout the month. But if that's not something you want to do, then there are multiple brands of non-tomato tomato sauce <laughs> that you yeah. can just buy and have that convenient for yourself. So while there are foods that are taken off of the list, and I know that nightshades, when I talk to people about AIP, that's the thing that gets them for some reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's coffee for some people. I think most are willing to give up nuts, for example, right? But nightshades is a tough one. I'll admit it. I I miss them and it, it makes it tough to eat out. I'm not going to beat around the bush on that. But I do eat out quite often at this point. I have learned ways around it. And um, especially if you are able to add in other things, for example, like eggs um, or in my case, dairy, then, then it makes it super easy to get around it. But um, you're, you're not so limited when you have all these other options to replace those foods um, in a convenient form so that you're not spending all of your time in the kitchen. Because I will say, early day AIP, there was a little bit of trading um, life for time in the kitchen, right? Like you felt good and your body felt good, but then you were spending so much time doing so much by scratch. And I think that we've gotten to a place where that's just not needed anymore, which is fantastic. Okay. It was a, it was a good (laughs) AIP summary. Like, I think you called it a primer. Um, we're really not good at basics and we're really not good at rapid fire, <laughs> but we appreciate that you are here and you made it all the way through the show anyway. So I just want to say, if you have a moment, if you could please go give a review on our show and however you're listening to it, um, the more positive feedback and reviews that are given, the more other people will find the show. And we would hate for someone to consider listening to the show and see some rude person's comment, um, you know, some troll or whatever. They're just, the internet is what it is sitting there in our review bucket. So, and if you review, then it will make it that much more likely for someone else to find it. So if you are enjoying the show, we would appreciate so much if you could just take a minute or two out of your schedule to leave some kind words. And um, thank you so much for being here and supporting our show we truly love you. I just, I'm feeling schmoopy. So <laughs> I'm going to call it a day. <laughs> Virtual hugs to everybody. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I was waiting for the mic to drop. I didn't hear it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are you? There we go. Yeah. No. No, I'm not. I'm American now. I'm not sorry. There Ooh, you go. Matt. <laughs> Matt, that was a blooper. Um